Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts, it is there. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com. Follow the podcast on social media at About Tree View on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash about to review. All right, on this week's episode, sorry it is a little bit late. I have been out of town, and so that kind of pushed production back a little bit. Uh, I am alone in the studio, and just like every time I'm alone in the studio, it is real awkward and real weird because I am sitting here alone talking to you, except you are hearing this days later, whereas right now it is just me, and it feels real weird. But anyway, on today's episodes, uh, t- episodes, I'm only doing one episode. Man, this is what happens when I do not have somebody here, except it happens when people are here anyway. All right, moving on with the show. So I will be giving the geek news and then reviewing two movies that are currently in theaters, Isle of Dogs, the new Wes Anderson film, and Pacific Rim Two, aka Pacific Rim Uprising. So that will be on this week's edition of the podcast. Before we get into that, we will get into the original theme song created by Damian Randall of Ill Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, back to me alone in the studio. Uh, All right, right off the top of the bat, the geek news. So a couple items that are going on right now in the geek sphere. Captain Marvel starring Brie Larson, the Marvel Cinematic Universe film that is currently scheduled to come out in 2019, has officially started production. So this is going to be the first female solo action or not just action movie solo movie in the marvel cinematic universe people thought it might have been black widow when they were first introducing that character a couple years ago turns out it is going to be captain marvel which is going to be interesting because this will allow them to kind of backdoor a lot of the ties into the movie that we have wanted to see so starting from like captain america the first avenger you know back in the World War II era, and then now, there are large gaps in there that we never really got covered. Agent Carter, the TV show, was kind of filling some of those gaps. With Captain Marvel, this will be a decade of the film universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that we have not seen yet. So they're really going to be able to explore some interesting things. The official synopsis says, Carol Danvers becomes one of of the universe's most powerful heroes when Earth is caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races. Spoiler alert for anyone who has not read comic books in the past 30 years, those two alien races are the Kree and the Skrull. Skrull are shape-shifting aliens, which are 
definitely going to play a part in this movie and most likely in Infinity War. You have heard Tim and I talk about it before, Tim Hall, the People's Critic. You have heard Jess and Damien from the Curly Nerd podcast talk about it as well. 100% they're going to lay some groundwork in Infinity War with the scrolls and then tie it into Captain Marvel some way, somehow. So that is going to be really interesting. What was fascinating is going through the cast list that they recently expanded. When you are looking through the cast list for Captain Marvel, you see some familiar names when it comes to galactic adventures like Guardians of the Galaxy. So Lee Pace, who played Ronan the Accuser, Clark Gregg, Coulson, who we have not seen in a Marvel Cinematic movie in quite a while, and Jaimon Hansu, who played Korath, or Korath in Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. They are both, or all three of those technically, are listed for Captain Marvel. So I like that. I think all three of those characters were interesting in different ways. Coulson, I know he was on, or possibly still, on S.H.I.E.L.D., who knows? I gave that show two episodes and I stopped watching it because, oof, it was it was rough times. So I have no idea if he is still on there. But Ronan the Accuser, I think by putting him in Captain Marvel, even if they are just kind of threading some things together, I would like to see more of that character because I still feel like he was not really developed in Guardians. So we'll see what happens with that. Jaimon Hanso is Korath. He was just a fun character. So I'm excited to see him back in these movies and potentially because of how Infinity War and the Infinity Stones are going to kind of mess with things. I have a feeling that even though this movie comes out after Infinity War, if some of those characters really hit off and people like seeing them again with the Time Stone, we could be seeing them again in the next Infinity War movie or in other future things if Thanos does rewrite the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, interesting choices there. So that is Captain Marvel with Brie Larson, scheduled for 2019. Now to another Marvel film property, or rather properties, that do not have a solid track record, unlike the MCU, the X-Men movies. So, X-Men Dark Phoenix (laughs) is delayed, again, until 2019. It is only a couple months, so it is not a big deal. It was current. It was scheduled for February 2018. They pushed it, or no, it is now going to be February 2019. It was initially supposed to open in December 2018. Just a couple months. I think that one is just mainly reshoots, just traditional reshoots. It happens with almost every production. But the reason I think it is being pushed back a little further this time, when you have people like Jennifer Lawrence... Michael Fassbender and Sophie Turner try to get them back together becomes a scheduling and logistical nightmare. Sophie Turner is trying to wrap up the final season of Game of Thrones and Jennifer Lawrence and Michael Fassbender stay busy. Love them or hate them, they stay busy. So I'm not too worried about that. I think it will be fine. I just, X-Men Apocalypse was so, so bad. That Dark Phoenix, I have almost no hope for, and I do not know why they are even making it. But it is being delayed a couple months, so we will see. Now, 
another X-Men property that I, this one I do legitimately worry about. So New Mutants, which could be really cool. And I had, they have a good idea as opposed to doing like the Deadpool route and doing a flat out comedy with great action. New Mutants, they want to make a horror movie, which is cool. It would be something different. It would be something unique. Still not quite sure why they would be doing the New Mutants as a horror film. When if they were to do like the Morlocks or something, there are more stories that could connect to horror there than the New New Mutants. Not quite sure. But that was supposed to come out of in April of this year, which is, oh yeah, in a couple weeks. Then it was delayed. Now it is currently delayed until August of 2019. That is almost a year from when it was even pushed back the first time. So this movie is in the weeds bad. Apparently some of the test screenings, uh, they wanted it to be scarier. And that was why they're going back to reshoot some some stuff. Here's the thing. Reshoots happen. It is it is Hollywood. It is the industry. Whether you're doing a small independent movie or a giant $100 million blockbuster, reshoots happen. It is totally normal. It is fine. Delaying it for a year, and from what the reports have been, they might be reshooting up to 50% of the movie to make it scarier. I do not understand that. That seems like madness to me. So we will see what happens with New Mutants. I like the concept. I like the cast. But wow, is that, yeah, that that is just bad, bad news. So who knows what will happen? We have already seen one trailer for New Mutants. I feel like we will not be getting anything else from New Mutants for a long time. Months and months down the road. Because, yeah, it, it is in some trouble. Uh, sticking with horror, Lock and Key, which was a really, really cool comic book series from, well, started in 2008, and then they did kind of six main arcs that went all the way through 2013 uh, about a family who has this family estate where there are a bunch of demons in it, and the keys for locks to the doors of the demons are made from demons when the demons try and come through the portal and they get turned into metal. Super weird concept, very Lovecraftian, really, really cool story. This show has been propositioned a couple times. They have actually filmed two separate pilots for the show. The latest one being for Hulu. Hulu ordered it last year. They filmed the pilot. They recently screened it and Hulu passed on it. That is also not good news. Uh, Lock and Key is something that I feel like could make a really good TV show, especially for a streaming platform because they could push the envelope a little bit, kind of dip their toe into the Stranger Things, Lovecraftian genre that is super hot right now. But something about the material is just not clicking. So Hulu passed on the show that they propositioned for their own network, we will call it. Good news with that is that it is still available to option now that Hulu passed on it. Amazon Prime 
could take a look at it. Netflix could take a look at it. There's still hope for lock and key this time. The first time the pilot they shot, whatever happened to that pilot, it got scrapped right away. This one, at least, it could have some legs. And I'm very very interested to see if it actually ends up seeing the light of day. So, yeah, those are just a couple quick geek news items. Captain Marvel, X-Men Dark Phoenix, New Mutants, who knows when we will ever see that. And Lock and Key, who knows when or if we will ever see that either. All right, into the movie reviews. So last week, uh, I saw a couple new movies, one of which being the first is Isle of Dogs. Now, this is a Wes Anderson movie. Wes Anderson is one of the directors, one of the creators that, I mean, you can use the word polarizing because people who like him, who, and I know a lot of people who like him, are rabid fans saying that he is one of the best directors of this generation, that he is one of the most original directors. He is untouchable. Other people just kind of, I mean, they can acknowledge that he is a great director. Sure, absolutely. But it is also a lot of the same style, a lot of the same cast, of course, and a lot of his projects. He likes sticking with the same people. But some people just kind of got tired of that. I am in the camp of if he is doing a new project, I will almost always go and see it just based off of his track record. Have I loved all of his movies? Not all of them, but have I liked all of them? Yes. I think some definitely stand out more than others. I mean, definitely tying into Isle of Dogs, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which he directed based off of the story of Roald Dahl, uh, who originally wrote it. That was awesome. I am not a huge fan of the Royal Tannenbaums, which everybody absolutely loves. Said it is one of the best movies of the 2000s. Okay. Uh, it was it was really good. I just did not connect to it the same way that a lot of people did. Grand Budapest Hotel was great. Moonrise Kingdom was good. Darjeeling Limited, not a big fan. Life Aquatic, I really liked. Rushmore, also not a huge fan compared to the rest of his body of work, but I respect him as a creator, as a director, enough for when he is doing a new project, I will absolutely check it out and and give it a shot. So Isle of Dogs, this new stop motion animated feature, similar again to Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, it tells the story, and this is, I mean, it, it hmm, how should I... Well, I would just I would just read it because it is very simple description on IMDb it says set in Japan. Isle of Dogs follow follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. I mean, yes, that is true. That is the story. That is what happens. There are about 12 different layers that that description does not go into that play a part of this movie. There's a big angle of cat people versus dog people. And the people in the government are definitely cat people. And they want to banish all of these dogs. Not just banish them. Destroy them. Uh, All the dogs in the country. So there is one level. There is a sociopolitical level. There is uh, an immigration level to this. 
So really fascinating concept and a lot deeper than I was expecting it to be just from the trailers, just kind of from what we had been seeing. To the animation style, the stop motion animation, this was flat out breathtaking animation. Not just with the stop motion animation from the dogs and the hair, the way that it moves, but in so many of the scenes when these characters are crying or are about to cry, the texture of those tears as you are watching this was phenomenal. We know these are puppets. We know that these are creatures that are manipulated and they're put in different positions and an animator and a team of animators is making them do these things. But watching it and watching tears kind of well up in these characters' eyes blew me away. I mean, it was just, it was tremendous. And it was done in such a different style and such a more advanced style than one of my favorite movies, which is Nightmare Before Christmas. When characters cried there, it was just such a different style of stop motion animation, but it was kind of these like big, you know, kind of clunky tears, but it fit within that world. This, the clarity and the texture of these, you know, watery tears that well up in their eyes in multiple characters, both dog and human, when it happens, it just, it was tremendous, incredible, incredible animation. And it also mixed the animation style similar to Kubo and the Two Strings, where yes, there are some green screen elements to this movie, but it is mainly in the background of the shot. And there's a phenomenal, anybody who listened to this podcast knows that I love behind the scenes features. You can watch a behind-the-scenes feature. I'll actually put a link to it uh, in the description of this episode where you can watch the animators work on this film. And so you can see a green screen behind them, but mainly they're doing that for depth, for background. But the actual animation of the characters, of the dogs, of the humans is all done by hand. They have multiple different mouths for all of the different characters that they can just plug and play to get the different shot. Tremendous. Uh, The voice cast in this, again, you want to talk about star-studded. So, Brian Cranston, Ed Norton, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, Harvey Keitel, Tilda Swinton, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, come on. It is madness how many people they got involved in this project. And... What was interesting is when you watch regular animation and you know some of the backstory of that person is recording those lines, they might not even see what it looks like for a year down the road. It is the animator's job to make sure everything kind of syncs up. That is a difficult job in animation. Stop motion animation, the way that the level that this is on, matching up those voices and matching up those performances this is a master class in how to do it. I mean, it was it was just tremendous. Uh, so again, not only the voice cast, but the animation department working in tandem to make this believable and real. Phenomenal. Uh, what other amazing things do I have to say about this movie? The score, Alexander, De- Alexander Desplat. Uh, I, I really hope I am pronouncing that right. I'm not sure if I am. It might be Alexander Desplat. Not sure. 
So he did the original score. Uh, first of all, he has like 87 awards, two Oscars, uh, one of them very recently for Shape of Water for original score. The sound design, the score was great. It fit tonally. What I also thought was an interesting and bold choice because you hear me talk about it a lot on this podcast, on this, on this podcast, on this podcast, I personally, not only do I like, but I enjoy reading subtitles when it fits within the context of the film, especially. So this taking place in Japan, they hit you with in the beginning of the movie, a description as to why you will hear English. And it says the barks, the dog's barks have been translated. Super clever way to get through that. But the Japanese characters are speaking in Japanese. And in the movie, there's an interpreter, you know, kind of she is in this uh, typical interpreter booth during these huge kind of presidential moments. So she is narrating, but you are still hearing the Japanese. That was great. Because you're honoring those actors' performances, you're honoring that material, while also giving us the translation in context of the story. Done really well. Sound design was great. Uh, this also this movie proves to me that movies like Box, The Box Trolls, Paranorman, Coraline, Kubo and the Two Strings prove that this style of animation, no matter how technologically advanced. CGI becomes, there will always be a home for stop motion animation of this caliber because there are still people who will find it fascinating and will honor and respect it in new ways, blending new technologies like a green screen in with the amazing hand, just hand to hand work that these animators have to do to make a film like this. So yeah, so those are all of my, my good things. About this film. Uh, to some of the. Maybe some of the things I did not like as much. There's parts of the movies that kind of. Parts of the movie that kind of dragged on. A little bit. You know a little bit slower. It all made sense. It all tied together. But it was just. Yeah there, there were lulls in it. That maybe I was not expected to last as long as they did. But it was super sweet. This is a movie that I think dog owners are going to have a really hard time watching because this is this is pretty gut-wrenching for for just dogs and people who love dogs. Uh, but it is a beautiful film. So, to the official rating system of this podcast, there are no letter grades, there are no stars. There are only three choices: good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you would recommend to somebody. You came out of the theater, you were, you were hyped about it, you liked it, you would, you would let somebody know to go and watch it. A bad movie is something that you would not immediately recommend to someone, and an ugly film is just avoid at all costs. So for Isle of Dogs, directed by Wes Anderson with a team of writers as well, I give it a good. I think this is something that you can take the family to. There is one curse word in it, but it makes sense. I mean, it is, it is the word for female dog. And so it is said once, and there was, there were a couple of younger people in the screening 
where I was when that got said, you know, I kind of heard their parents take a little bit of a gasp, mainly because that was it. That was the only time a curse word was said during the movie, even though there was, you know, some violence uh, and some blood. That was the only curse word. So this is still very family friendly as long as they can handle that word. So uh, the fight scenes also in this were tremendous. Uh, I really liked those. So my official rating for Isle of Dogs is good. Go see it. Totally worth your time. If you want to catch this, I mean, if you want to wait a little bit, catch it on Netflix or something so it is easier to watch with a family and you're not bringing a bunch of people to the theater, that is totally fine as well. So Isle of Dogs, good. Next on the docket is a movie that could not be more distant than Isle of Dogs, Pacific Rim Uprising, directed by Stephen S. DeKnight in his first feature-length directorial debut, which is madness. Uh, he has done a bunch of TV in the past. Uh, as far as a producer, he has directed directed some episodes of Angel and Smallville. But as your first director directorial debut, doing a movie like Pacific Rim Uprising, w- wow, uh, is surprising. Is definitely definitely surprising. So Pacific Rim Uprising takes place ten years after the first Pacific Rim. Uh, this one brought back some people from the first one, the original one. Uh, I will not spoil who is not there, but somebody is not. Th- Never mind, I will spoil it. Uh, Charlie Hunnam is not in this. He was a star of the first one. Nowhere to be seen in in this one. Uh, he is pseudo replaced by Scott Eastwood, which to me is like the most generic, big tough—not even big tough, but like tough white guy soldier swap out. It reminded me of Mystery Science Theater 3000 when they're just making fun of one of the guys on screen for just being this huge lug. So they're like Jake Beefcake, strong jaw, barrel chest. Basically, you can just swap out a bunch of different actors to take the place of Charlie Hunnam. In this movie, it was Scott Eastwood. Uh, And he is joined by lead and legitimate star John Boyega. Uh, Some people who came back from the first one, Charlie Day, uh, Bern Gorman, and a few other people. But mainly, this is a lot of young, (laughs) new talent. So in the 10 years since the first movie, spoiler alert, I guess, for the first movie, uh, the good guys won. Shocking. So the good guys in the Jaegers, aka the giant robot suits, beat the, the monsters from the breach. So there has been 10 years of peace and prosperity. The Jaeger program, they are, you know, building new versions to kind of replace the the old worn down versions and the new ones are going to be piloted by drones as opposed to by humans who have to be compatible with each other which was something that they never really explained I mean they go into it but as far as why somebody would not be connected or why they would not be able to pilot a Jaeger together nobody really cares uh so but 10 years later, you see John Boyega, who is the son 
So he plays Jake Pentecost. He's the son of Idris Elba's character in the first movie. And I was worried going into this being like, okay, in that first movie, not once is it mentioned that he has a son. It is mentioned that he has a foster daughter, essentially, but not a son at all. In this movie, they take like 60 seconds to explain it and be like, oh, that foster daughter you saw in the first movie, I grew up with her in the house where she's my sister. Sure. Okay. Fine. Just roll with it. Uh, so he is kind of washed out of the Jaeger program, but a new threat arises and they have to bring him back to train this young upstart crew of just young soldiers in this program, which again, it is never really explained why there are not more seasoned pilots. So that, that seems kind of bizarre in this 10 years, but who knows? A lot of things that you have to go into with this movie is just kind of shut your brain off. And that is not a down, that is not a, you know, dig on it or anything. Just, it is a giant robot fighting giant alien sci-fi action movie. Do you really need to think about it too much? No. Do I think about it too much? Yes, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, the dialogue in this, the script, uh, I could look up who wrote it. Uh, well, Stephen S. Tonight, Emily Carmichael, and three more credits. Wow. Uh, this has some of the cheesiest dialogue I have heard in a long time. Not quite to the level of Transformers The Last Night, because the performances in this are way better than that movie. But man, is it just cheeseball. Super, super cheeseball. But hey, again, you you know what you're getting into when you go to see this movie. Uh, John Boyega's character kind of saves uh, a young character who then becomes part of the program, uh, Kaylee Spaney. She plays Amara. When she gets recruited into this program, you know, to be, to be a Jaeger pilot, she has already built herself a small Jaeger. And that was really cool. You know, it showed that she is smart enough to do that, to be a pilot, to build this kind of impressive feat of engineering. And then you do not really see too much more of that. You see her failing a lot and not being able to pilot a large one. All right. Again, just rolling with it. Uh, what I did like. So this movie is basically Starship Troopers meets Transformers meets Hunger Games. You have the young kids, similar to Hunger Games, Transformers, duh, Giant Jaegers, Starship Troopers, weird aliens that kind of get explained, but not really explained. And then when they do try and explain it in the movie, it does not really make sense, but sure. Uh, take those three movies, cram them together. Here you go. As I'm watching this, I'm realizing they will probably never make a mainstream anime style movie like Gundam or Escaflone or Evangelion or any of those huge mech style anime into a live action movie, at least a big one like this. They definitely make live action anime movies in Japan all the time. They had an Attack on Titan movie. 
Uh, they have done those before, but seeing as how we will not most likely get those, this is what we have to take the place of an Evangelion or Gundam or Escaflone, and I am absolutely on board with that. Because if I cannot get those, at least I can get some giant robots punching giant aliens in the face. Now that said, <laughs> um, oof. The, the setup that this does to get into those action set pieces is rough. Is real rough. Uh, Charlie Day returns as Dr. Newton Geisler, who is super over the top. He wasn't the first one. He is even more over the top in this one. And his, his plots, his machinations uh, to get to where he is going and to drive the plot forward is just weak. It, it is super weak. But what it gets them to do and what it gets the Jaegers to do, which is pretty much all in the trailers. I'm not sure why they do that, but like the third act is pretty much all in the trailer trailers of this film. So the setup to get to that point, you just got to power through it because once those action set pieces take place, they are pretty phenomenal. <laughs> They're fun to watch. Turn your brain off. Uh, what I always thought was weird about the first movie is when you see Charlie Hunnam uh, sparring uh, with one of the other recruits, and I cannot remember her name right now, you know, they're using bow staffs. You never see any of the Jaegers use a bow staff. So it is like, okay, you're training. Why not train with the weapons that is that are on your Jaeger? <sighs> Whatever. Uh, just trying not to think about that. So... The, the cast, though, is super diverse, which is good to see, even though they're doing it for the very specific reason that this movie is going to make all of the money in China. There is a bunch, there are a bunch of Chinese actors in this, actors and actresses, uh, some younger, some, you know, that we are more familiar with. When you do a movie like this with a joint production and you get money from Chinese cinema, and they will release it and give it a huge push over there, it will make a ton of money. Uh, there was some Mandarin spoken, which is also really cool. Like I said with Isle of Dogs, I like hearing those types of things. If the language makes sense in the context of the film, please just do it and trust that people are going to be able to read subtitles for like five minutes. Just let it happen. As long as it makes sense, Within the film. Uh, what else? Um, I mean, I, I really don't want to give too much away. I mean, I already said that the third act is what is in the trailers. This movie ends the way that it should have begun. So it sets up for a sequel just on a T. One of the, like the last things that is said and you're just like, really? We're, we're going to do this again? Okay, um, but that what he says, what a character says in the end and how they set it up is what this movie should have been. So because if they had done that and people once you watch it and then you listen to this, you'll understand what I'm talking about. If they had done what he said at the end, at the beginning of this, it would have made it way more compelling and way more interesting of a story than what they did to then set up that next film. So 
just like those early MCU movies where you could really just feel like it was just setting up the next one, setting up the next one. Just give us a solid movie. And this was this this was a movie uh and it did stand on its own comparing it to Guillermo del Toro's first one is tough. Uh the action was better in this one. I liked it also because the action took place during the day. I always hate it when you have these huge action set pieces that take place at rain or at night, in the rain, in the dark. Come on, people. You spend so much money on visual effects. Let us see that. This, they went all out. The major fight sequences take place during the day, even though there are only like three major set pieces when it comes to action set pieces. It is in the day. It is bright. You see all of the different types of Jaegers and what they can do. They use multiple weapons and fighting styles. Uh, there is a Voltron-esque moment uh, with the bad guys from the breach. That was pretty cool. I saw it coming, but that is pretty cool. And if they can do more of that, like I said, we're not going to get a live-action Voltron movie. I know people have been wanting it for a long time, but in the meantime, just watch it on Netflix. Voltron Legendary Defender is a great cartoon. We're not going to get a live-action big-budget movie. So just take these Pacific Rim movies, and that will be the live-action version. So I liked the Voltron-esque moment that the bad guys had towards the end. Overall, uh, my, my rating for this is, is good. And I say that with trepidation only because this is not a fantastic movie at all. The dialogue almost bumps it down to bad. Like, it is real cheesy and just hard to listen to sometimes. But John Boyega is unstoppable. This guy is a star. Any way you cut it, he is fantastic. And his performance, which is leaps and bounds above everyone else in this movie, is what keeps it out of good and does not drop it down to bad. So, yeah, there you go. That was my review for Pacific Rim Uprising. So for this solo episode of About to Review, I talked about some geek news. I gave Isle of Dogs a good and Pacific Rim Uprising also a good, except that one is right on the cusp of, of being bad because the script was bad. Flat out, it was bad. But there were moments that, that bumped it up and they kept it at a good uh, so yeah, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of the show. Thank you so much for, for listening. If you have any feedback about this episode, definitely let me know what you think of these movies. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at about to review. You can email the show about to review at gmail.com. New episodes are released every week, normally on Wednesdays. This one is late. My bad. I was out of town. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go and click the link in the description for the Amazon wish list. There are a couple of items on there if you want to help out the studio and get some things that, that would really make me feel special. That would be great. Uh, you can also support the show by clicking the support tab, the support tab on the aboutreview.com website, uh, youtube.com slash about to review. 
has the video segments for the about to interview shows. Uh, make sure to, again, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on all of them. So if you find a podcast platform that I am not listed on, let me know, except for Spotify. I already know about that one. If you find a different one, <laughs> let me know, and I will do my best to, to get on there. So for this episode of the About to Review podcast, I have been your host, that guy named John. I had to think about that for a second. I was like, wait, who am I? This is why I need somebody in the studio. This is why in episode 101, I have only done like three shows by myself. It is weird talking to myself. So <laughs> hopefully it does not happen uh, too often, even though I should get more comfortable with it. So for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John. Thank you again so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.